0: Salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Edmund Related Show on the Planet Earth, the John Campion Show, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campion. And it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but also giving you information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely opposite of ours. Joining me in studio here, we got Ray Aura. Hey, hey. Over there, we got Jonathan Voiko. Hello. And of course, fresh off voting for strike authorization <laughs> with her Screen Actors Guild is Chris Carr. Yay, you need hey. strong. And most importantly, you guys are here joining us. Thanks a lot for being here and making the show part of your day. And here's how this podcast is going to go. The first part, we're going to talk about some predetermined topics we have lined up. And then in the second part of the show, we're just going to take your questions that are YouTube channel members. And if you are a YouTube channel member, thank you so much. And if you're not, why not? Go ahead and become a channel member over our YouTube channel. But we asked our channel members if they had some questions for the show. And we're going to read a bunch of those off in the second part of the show. All right. Guys, that down, uh, let's jump right into it here, shall we? Did you guys know that this past Thursday was the five-year anniversary of the release of Deadpool 2?
1: Oh, dang.
0: Right? Five years? Five years. It has been since Deadpool 2 came out. We the have been The pandemic waiting. was 20, so that makes sense. Yeah, because when, when Kevin Feige took over Fox, like when, when Disney bought and acquired Fox... You know, that's when Kevin Feige said, we've got a five-year plan and we're coming up to the end of the five-year plan. It's like, oh yeah, it was before. That. It was like four CinemaCons ago that we were at CinemaCon in Vegas and Alan Horn got on stage and talked about Deadpool now being, he showed him on a Disney bus wearing Mickey Mouse ears, but that was so many years ago. And we have waited and waited and waited. Well, we've had a bunch of news lately. You know, the script was completed. They got a release date. Hugh Jackman's there. They just announced that Negasonic and... uh Uh, Yukio? Yukio. Yukio are coming back, all that kind of stuff. Well, today is a momentous day. Today is the tangibilization of it all because according to reports, Deadpool 3 finally Finally. started shooting today. Yay! The actual production, they're actually in front of cameras and rolling. And, you know, while I am thrilled for this news and like really excited about it because I love this franchise. There is also a part of me that's like, damn, they they wasted a lot of time, like five years since the last one. And, you know, at the end of the day, we may end up with this Deadpool movie and maybe even two more, but I'll always feel like in my heart of hearts, we could have had three more. Or if we end up with one more, we could have had two more. I feel like there should have we should be going into production on the fourth Deadpool movie right now. But regardless, I'll put that aside and just focus on the positive that this movie is now finally shooting and in front of cameras. And the movie is still like two years away from coming out in cinemas. Granted, this is going to be a long production and an even longer post-production process to make a Deadpool three. But man, I'll tell you what, I don't know what it is about this franchise. Chris, that makes my heart so happy. If it's just the pure humor of it, if it's that they made Wade into an infinitely likable character that you just can't help but cheer for, whether it's the fact that they do some really creative violence in it, the fact that they poke and prod at the comic book genre as a whole. I mean, he was pretty savage on Marvel characters before. Now that they're actually at Marvel, I expect them to triple the savageness at, at, at ripping apart Marvel characters and doing a lot of satire and jokes. But I don't know, but hey, Chris, you, you know, you hear this thing is now underway. This thing is shooting. How important is this? Like, do you... You were shocked when I said it's been five years since number yeah. two, but I don't know. What are you thinking about it right it now? It doesn't,
1: I didn't think it had been that long and that is a good chunk of time between films. This movie franchise is so fun. It it brings on the filthy, which obviously we love. Yes. It's mm. great. There's so much delicious gore. There's heckin' violence, but it also has a really heartfelt storyline too. You know, they're at the, at the emotional core of Deadpool. At the emotional core of a lot of Ryan Reynolds films, it sneakily hides in a rom-com. Yeah, yeah. A lot of his recent projects do that. Free Guy does that. The Deadpool movies do that, where it's a, a a story about a boy and a girl just wanting to be together. And these films are so freaking fun. And
0: of course, his best one, his best one, Just Friends. I wanna love throw that Just out Friends one. so much. I love Just Friends. It's oh such an underappreciated movie.
1: I got my wisdom teeth taken out when Just Friends came out. And my mom, because I was all hopped up on goof pills, my mom had me sing Boys to Men, I swear, because my mouth was so swollen. <laughs> so I just looked like Ryan Reynolds' character when he was lip syncing that at the beginning. It's one of my favorite memories with my mom. Her taking advantage of my drug usage <laughs> for her drink. own amusement. Yeah, oh, what a car family thing to do. <laughs> but I think this franchise is so so fun. I am a little worried just because, given the writer strike and given Ryan's position in the WGA, any script supervision options that need to happen. I'm hoping this is a really great, tight script. I'm hoping that the other actors can improvise really, really well around him and do some fun things to add to the script. Because that's one of the things I love about the Deadpool films is they feel a little loosey-goosey as they are lampooning things. Yeah. But I feel going into this, everyone really had that Deadpool voice down pat. Everyone knew what this needed to sound like, how these jokes need to hit. And now that they were going to be officially part of the House of Mouse, I'm sure the lampooning is just So, so vicious. I really hope it is. I hope they don't pull any punches. And I hope there's tons of jokes aimed directly at Marvel, aimed directly at Disney, and at all the other things. I hope they blatantly talk about the phases. I think it's going to be a really great Mm -hmm. time. And I'm excited to see what they put together.
0: I I do want a Deadpool joke saying, I'm going into Deadpool phase two. I I mean, I would love to hear. Jonathan or Ray, like, (laughs) what, what, what is it about, like, Deadpool That had because remember, it's I think Deadpool one and two hold the number two and number three spots for the all-time biggest R-rated box office films in history. I think there's only behind Joker. But what is it about these movies that make the people so excited for them?
2: Go for it. Okay. There's nothing like Deadpool out there. Like if you look for any from any comic book movies you've seen before up until now, there is just nothing like it. It's it's it could it's for some people, it's not for others. But I love it because it's a character that doesn't take himself too seriously. And, like, it's just a f- fun time. Even sometimes during the dramatic scenes of Deadpool, he'll stick in a joke in there to break that, that seriousness yeah. up. And that's what I like about it. Because life, to me, you have to be able to laugh at everything. You know what I mean? Some bad stuff happens. You can laugh at it after, you know, you know. You get get over it, things like that. Um, I just think the character... Is amusing, and I have a good time every time I've watched Deadpool. Even, um, not even in the movies when he makes a, a little uh, ad spot or something like that. He it's just oh the, the marketing
0: whole yeah the marketing for Deadpool is like some of the best in the Hollywood history. Like their commercials and okay. something like that what they do is crazy. Him and yeah, Korg, they, they yeah, the do,
3: Korg thing was fantastic. They did that Bob Ross one. Um, I think it's just the tone for sure, and and really, it's like it's not. It is Ryan Reynolds playing a character. But it is so much of Ryan Reynolds' charm in that character woven within it, and I think that's what attracts a lot of people to it. I
1: stand by, I really want them to treat the Deadpool marketing and the film, much like they did the Lilo and Stitch marketing. I want... Wade walking into the beauty and the beast ballroom scene. I want all that kind of nonsense they did with stitch. I think that'd be amazing.
0: They they need to leverage. They need to leverage Ryan Reynolds in the marketing in this. They really do and get into that. Anyway, guys, the question is for you, how do you feel about this? Deadpool three, we've all been excited about, especially with Hugh Jackman coming back as Wolverine, but it's now officially shooting, which is amazing. It's actually finally happening almost on the five-year anniversary of Deadpool 2 coming out. How do you guys feel about that? Whatever you think, leave us your thoughts and your comments, shall we? We'd love to hear them. All right. Uh, let's move on to this, and we'll go for something really fun and exciting about Deadpool 3 starting to shoot and onto something that's just broke this morning and has broken my heart. According to reports that have now come out, and apparently it's now been verified, Ray Stevenson uh, has passed away at the age of 58. Um, I personally really first took notice of Ray Stevenson in the HBO series, Rome, uh, in which he was incredible. And he was Volstag in Thor, which is, you know, I think one of the more underrated comic book movies ever, probably only behind Man of Steel. I loved him in that movie. Uh, He's going to be the villain in the upcoming Ahsoka series, he was
1: great on Dexter.
0: Yeah. Oh, he was so good in Dexter. So good. I Season loved seven. him in Dexter. Uh, on top of that, he was already in the Star Wars universe. He was a voice yes, in in, in Clone Rebels. Wars. Yep. Or in Rebels, I should say. Um, he's fan. But when I think of Ray Stevenson, I think of my favorite Punisher. Mm-hmm. In Punisher War he was my favorite. All due respect to John Bernthal, who I love. John Bernthal's Punisher, I love him but Ray Stevenson's Punisher was probably my favorite. And you know what? I just finished watching him um, in a little movie called Accident Man, Hitman's Holiday. Uh, and I I watched that movie because the star of the film, Scott Atkins, who every, well, everybody loves Scott Atkins. Scott Atkins actually wrote me a note and said, hey, can you check out this new movie we just did? And I'm like, I would love to check it out. Checked it out. And I had no idea Ray Stevenson was in it. Him and Scott were fantastic together. Um Right now they're saying there is no cause of death is being released to the public at this point. Um, all I can say is I'm, I'm heartbroken. He is one of those guys that just became a character actor to me that when he popped up in something, I instantly got more engaged with it. Whenever he was in something, it just made me more interested in it. And uh, I was really, really sorry to hear about the passing of Ray Stevenson at the age of 58. Anyway, Chris, you were in the room here as we read the news uh, breaking, your thoughts on the passing of Ray Stevenson?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so sudden and he was only 58. Yeah, only 58, that's so young. I loved him as Volstagg. He was in RRR recently too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He was great in it too. He plays this real brutal character that he's so great at. When he gets to sink his teeth into a role, he is so transformative and so dynamic in everything he does. I mean, from going to that, to that kind of jovial warrior in Volstagg, to the... Calm and collected, but vengeful wolf in Dexter. He had such an incredible, incredible career. Uh, this is from The Hollywood Reporter. At the time, um, like four days before his birthday, he was hospitalized. Oh. Uh, this was from the uh, the newspaper La Repubblica in Italy. He'd been hospitalized while he was on the island of Ischia while he was working on a film there. And that's all we know so far. So hopefully- So it doesn't
0: sound like it was something that was- completely sudden and out of nowhere yeah mm.
1: so hopefully we'll have more details at some point but i just i wish his family well during this incredibly difficult time and what a tremendous tremendous character uh character actor we just lost he was so wonderful
0: jonathan when you think about ray stevenson what are what are the first things that pop into your head first off it would be Volstag. um yeah, i loved him in, that.
3: in his performance there but also you know you brought it up it's like i I, I say this is strange. I kind of forgot about his Punisher, and yet I, that was such a great Punisher film. Yeah. Um, that was the one he was up against Jigsaw, right? Yeah. Yep. But I John still Travolta. to this day remember that scene. No, no, wasn't no, the, no John, no, John Travolta, Travolta was in the, oh, the, uh, other, one. the other Punisher yeah, was the other one. film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but still to this day where he has a broken nose in that movie and he corrects it with a pencil, <laughs> I, still <get> <laughs> I still get chills. I still get chills with that one scene. But this, you know, it, if he was hospitalized, obviously something was going on, but for 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 us that we weren't in the know, this is so sudden. Like Chris said, I mean, he still was, you know, at his peak. Yeah. I, that I didn't see any reason why he would be slowing down, especially at that age. Um so it is sudden, it is tragic. Um I am yeah. curious to know what else comes out of this, but ultimately that's second to the fact that we lost Someone that, you know, is such a great
0: talent. And it feels like he was entering a new I mean, we were just joking about, you know, this is Deadpool phase two. I, I feel like he was just entering into phase two of his career because he'd recently done such huge things as RRR and this Ahsoka thing. Listen, we don't see a lot of him in the trailer as the villain. But he looked awfully great.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like a really cool dynamic character too, where he's this former Jedi who is a villain now, who's kind of gone more towards the dark side, but also has this very, you know, tenuous relationship with Trask, uh, um, or not Trask, sorry, Thrawn. I'm really excited to see that. And he was just recently promoting it. I mean, he was just at Star Wars Celebration. That was just a few weeks ago.
0: Yeah. It's wild. Anyway, guys, Uh, The question for you is, uh, what do you think about when you think about the incredible career of the amazingly talented Ray Stevenson? Uh, Do you go all the way back to Rome? Do you think about his Punisher? Do you think about him in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Do you think about him in the Star Wars universe? I mean, whatever you guys think first, make sure you guys let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to uh, an upcoming movie. Shall we? We were recently at CinemaCon in Las Vegas, and they showed us the first kind of preview for the new Martin Scorsese film, Killers of the Flower Moon, with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, which is, of course, our Martin Scorsese's two main muses, if you will. Finally coming together. And by the way, also starring my accountant's wife. (gasps) Our 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 John Cavie Show accountant, his wife is one of the stars of the film. Very excited about seeing that. Now, what they showed us at CinemaCon was a bloody gut punch of a trailer. Like it just left you feeling emotionally exhausted just from the trailer. And like, you're watching this trailer and like, number one, I cannot wait to see this movie. Number two, I'm already enraged. I already know I'm going to come out of this movie (laughs) feeling so angry, which is exactly what Scorsese was going for. Well, they just recently debuted the film at the Cannes Film Festival. And not surprisingly, the reviews coming out are right along the lines of what we thought. I mean, I mean, Indiana Jones also had his debut at Cannes and it didn't get the response they were hoping for, but man, they got it for Killers of the Flower Moon. As of right now, for all the big outlets that got to see it at the Cannes Film Festival, it's holding a 95% Hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes with a lot of the reviews and critics basically saying that Scorsese is now in line to maybe get his second best director. Uh, Academy Award. We got some people like the Toronto Star is saying sprawling across the screen for 206 minutes killers test our patience but more than earns its keep as a prestige film sure to figure prominently in next year's Oscar race. And it just goes on and on and on. Everybody's basically saying DiCaprio and De Niro together are incredible. They say the story will like hit you in all the emotional soft spots. It just says it looks like this movie is going to turn out to be what we were hoping it to be. But it also doesn't sound like a fun time at the movies, Hmm. right? So right there, when you get movies that are incredibly emotionally moving, that's great. But sometimes these movies are the ones that don't necessarily attract a large audience. So I'm not quite sure. I don't think Killers of the Flower Moon is going to be Martin Scorsese's biggest box office hit. But it does sound like it could be an Oscar contender already. Like, Chris, you were there when we watched the previews for it. We, of course, developed a first impression of it, but but yeah. now we're getting these reviews. All these outlets are saying, yeah, this thing is now already in the best picture race. Is that what you expected to hear? Are they better responses than you thought? What do you think?
1: I figured this would have a pretty big pop at Cannes, especially because this is the first time Scorsese's been back there since, I think, the 80s. He hasn't been going back there. The last time he was there was for After Hours and I believe 85. So to have him go and present his film and everything means he obviously believes in this. And also Apple has been really pushing for these kind of prestige films, right? Right, They had a great one with Coda and they've really been investing in their films. Well, they won a Best
0: Picture award with Coda. They have,
1: exactly. They invested $200 million in Scorsese's film here, though, which is, you know, a a bit bigger of a budget than Coda. So we're really hoping and banking on these prestige films. And to hear this response is really, really exciting for me. When we watched the footage from CinemaCon, and we talked about this a little bit here at the show already before, about how this is going to be a great movie that makes all of us very, very angry. And (laughs) I felt watching it the same way I felt leaving the theater from Black Klansmen, of just being filled with rage of just, I can't believe there are people who do this. I can't believe that this is a thing that happens because this film is just going to cover the systemic murder of the Osage people because of the land disputes, because of the oil. And to have a film that is three and a half hours move people to leap to their feet, not just so they can stretch out, but to applaud (laughs) the efforts, I think speaks volumes. I am really looking forward to this one, but man, I already know I'm going to have to have a heck of a palate cleanser
0: afterwards. Guys, so for you, the question will be, uh, what do you think? I mean, have you seen the previews now for Killers of the Flower Moon? What do you think about the responses getting coming out of the Cannes Film Festival? Are you excited for it? Is this maybe, maybe you're the type of person who just likes to go for more enjoyable stuff, stuff that makes <laughs> you feel happy and good and excited, which is nothing wrong with being like that. Maybe this movie is for you, or are you kind of more like me, where you're looking at this and thinking, oh my God, I cannot wait to see this. What has Scorsese got on deck for us? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, sticking with reviews, let's talk about this. Don't know if you heard this, but there's a new Little Mermaid Mm. coming out, and it opens this week. I'm going to do my out-of-theater reaction on Wednesday. I'm going to see it like one day early. We're going to a special fan screening. So we're going to have that up there at that point. I believe this movie is going to make a lot of money this weekend. A lot of money, which is going to be one of the things that hurts. I think it's going to hurt Fast X's second weekend box office. I'm not saying this movie is going to make $150 million opening weekend at all. No, but I think in the long run, this movie is going to make a ton of cash. Well, the reviews are now officially out. We heard the first reactions a while ago, and they were mostly positive. But now the full review embargo has been lifted. And as of right now, as of this recording, The Little Mermaid is holding a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. I decided to go through and read a lot of the reviews, particularly focusing on the negative. Now, on the positive side, like, this is what Variety said. Variety said this. This is their headline. The Little Mermaid Review... Halle Bailey and Melissa McCarthy erase any doubts about this remake's (laughs) C-worthiness. Get it? But instead of S-E-A-C, they said S-E-E. Anyway, so the, the ones that liked it seemed to like it a lot. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. As I read through a number of the negative ones, a couple of them... Have their points. Like, here's why I don't think this movie works. Uh, Point A, point B, point C. And perfectly good, legitimate, wonderful. But what I also noticed was that a good number of the negative ones seem to specifically base it on it doesn't change enough from the original, right? We didn't need this movie because it was just too much like the original. I got to tell you, it frustrates me a little bit when I see film critics do this because I don't care what you as a film critic think about how it compares to the original as far as is it too much. It's not original. What I care about from you as a film critic is on its own merits, is this a good movie to see? I, I I don't want to hear, well, this, there's no point in this movie. It's just too much like the original. That doesn't tell me whether it's a good movie or not based on its own merits. I don't give two shits about the original I, when it comes to wh- making a decision to go and see this movie or not. I just want to know, do you think on its own merits from when the movie started to when the movie ended, was this an entertaining movie or not? And I was a little bit dismayed reading... A number of the, of the outlets just writing about They just focused on, oh, yeah, you know what? Uh, Haley Bailey is going to be a star. Melissa McCarthy is great as Ursula. It's got some wonderful visuals. But at the end of the day, this movie was unnecessary because uh, it was j- just nothing new here to say. There's nothing new here. Well, I don't care. I care, is this a good movie to watch? That's all. Tell me if it's good. Tell me if you don't think it's good. A couple of the other critics who gave it negative reviews... Bothered to tell us whether they thought it was good or not and why they didn't think it was good. And none of their reasoning was just too much like the original being like the original is neither good nor bad. Right. We've heard a lot of people complain about remakes or reimagining saying it's not enough like the original. Well, I I don't care how much a new film is like or unlike an original. Just tell me if it's good or not on its own merit. So I'm reading this, and 70, 71%, listen, that's a decent critic rating. That's a good critic rating. That means seven out of every 10 critics liked the film, only three out of every 10 didn't. That's fine. But I kind of feel like the movie might be better than that because a number of the negative reviews weren't even negative reviews. They are just, ah, we give it a negative score because we think it was too too much like the original. Chris, you are somebody who, unless I'm not remembering this correctly, are quite the fan of the original.
1: Freaking love the original Little Mermaid. Used to watch the cartoon every Saturday morning. (laughs) Oh,
0: loved it. So, I mean, we're seeing the reviews coming out. We're, We're hearing what the negative ones are saying. We're hearing what the positive ones are saying. How is this lining up with where your expectations are? And, you know, we know you weren't thrilled with the trailers, but where's your anticipation level like right now for the movie coming out this week?
1: From what I saw of Melissa McCarthy in this film, when we got to see that extended cut of Poor Unfortunate Souls, that really changed things for me. That really moved the needle for me. Oh, really? Because the whole time I've thought that Halle Bailey was going to crush it. She has a beautiful voice. I think she is such an incredible, incredible singer. I think she just looks so beautiful in this role and everything. And I kept thinking about how many girls were going to love seeing this mermaid on screen. But everything else was kind of falling short for me. And then Melissa McCarthy just crushing that song really changed things up. So I can understand these views from what I've heard too and what I've seen online. A lot of things do come down to, hey, sometimes the underwater scenes look amazing. Other times they really, really fall flat or look kind of video gamey or gimmicky or weird. And again, I think a lot of that comes down to a post-Avatar world. We have a very, yeah. a very high yeah, expectation. Nothing's going to compare very yeah.
0: well to how Underwater looks.
1: Because I, I remember looking at the first Aquaman thinking, oh, this is really cool. And now when I rewatch that movie, it's, gosh, these Underwater scenes look terrible. Compared to Avatar, <laughs> compared, yeah. Compared to that. But I, I do think if it's, if it's not different enough for you, I mean, go watch the original movie. You have that. You can do that. The Little Mermaid has been such a cash cow for Disney because we had the original film. Then we had the Disney series. We had multiple uh, post uh, sequels. We had a prequel. We have the Kingdom Hearts game still all with Jodi Benson doing the voice. Obviously, she is huge because the merchandise is still there. The rides at the parks are still there. So this film, just by comparison, is already set on its box office weekend, projected to open at about $111 million. By comparison, that is what The Little Mermaid feature film made in its entirety when it was released before. Wow. Now, granted, that was back in, what, 89? 89. So, yeah, you got to take into account how movie prices have changed and all that kind of stuff, yada, yada, yada. But still, this is going to be a win for Disney, I think, as long as people do come out and come to see it. I think those kind of reviews, though, that are just saying, I wanted this to be something completely and utterly different— don't give the movie its fair credit and its fair day on the screen because you should just go in and enjoy the movie for what it is, right? And if they do change some things, great. If they don't some change some things, that can be great too. I feel like a lot of the problems with these Disney live-action remakes have been people are very upset sometimes when it's not a beat-for-beat beat remake of the animated right. film, yeah. which why would you want that? It's like the Rear Window, or not Rear Window, excuse me, the Psycho remake where it's, well, this is just the same movie with new people. Why am I watching this, <laughs> Right. So I think as long as you make some changes, and a lot of that is this change in cast. I know some people listening to this are going to gripe and moan about woke Disney or all this other stuff, but representation does matter. And to see all these little girls grabbing little mermaid costumes and feeling seen, I think is really, really beautiful. And I think that in itself is a big win for this film, is that there's so many girls now who say... I look like that Disney princess and that has to feel amazing.
0: You know, I got to show you guys this email. Remind me after we're done recording here, I want to show you this. I got an email this morning because we talked about uh, this on one of our shows the other day about um, representation matters and and how those of us who have always had representation take for granted how important it is. So one of our listeners heard us talking about that and he sent me these beautiful pictures of his little girl, his daughter, who, what is the name of the girl, America uh, America Chavez in Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness? Yes. Right. So he said, um, my daughter, he said more than any Disney princess, she loves Disney princesses and all that kind of stuff, but my daughter has never attached to a character so much. Uh, I think they're of Puerto Rican descent. He says, never attached herself to a character so much as America Chavez. And he sent me pictures of his little girl wearing her jacket. Oh. And this sweet little, had to be like seven years old. This sweet little girl is like she's she was complete because there was somebody on screen that she identified with that looked like her. Right. Exactly. So it was kind of neat. Ray, it, for you, though, I know for you <laughs> on your list of priorities and fandom and stuff, there's the Martian, there's one punch man, and then there's the Little Mermaid.
2: <laughs> Why is this so important to you? Well, the Little Mermaid was actually the first animated Disney movie I watched I believe, in my life. Really? Like, like, the whole thing. I saw clips of, like, the older movies on TV, but we actually went and bought this movie. I remember it was a big deal because my dad didn't like spending money at that time on anything. <laughs> and he bought it, and then we put it... I don't know. I think he saw it as more of an investment because he they locked it up. Like, it's still in plastic. Because I guess at that time, maybe, like, Disney movies were... You know, they're being valued Well, they would a go into more. the vault. Remember yeah. back in the yeah. day, they would well, like, go my, into the vault. You know, my dad was always, like, trying to get some extra money somehow. But anyways, <laughs> what I like thinking about is there's a generation that has never seen The Little Mermaid. That's that true. going to yep. see it the first time this weekend. And, boy, I hope they enjoy, enjoy the movie like I did when I was younger and I saw it for the first time. So, yeah, I just like thinking that these remakes, you need them. You need them eventually. You know what I mean? Yeah. We were talking about that because there's a generation who doesn't want to go back to the past like me. I don't like going back to the older movies when there's newer technology and then they get to experience this Little Mermaid, which will be their first Little Mermaid. So, yeah, that's 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 what I like to think about.
0: I've always had these arguments with people when when a remake or someone would come up say – well, you shouldn't make this one because the original is already perfect. Yeah, but no, like hardly anybody in the new generation has seen that one. Well, they should. Well, should is great. Should is a wonderful word, but should is a completely fucking meaningless word. Yeah. Because the
3: audiences aren't going to see it. Yeah. All right? Did they? So, did they see the original Scarface, or did they
0: just see the? Yeah. 1980s? You know. Did you see the original fly? Well, you should. Did you see the original <laughs> thing? Probably not, because we're not talking about. Jeff Goldblum's or John Carpenter's thing. They were, so did you see those? No. I mean, so it, it brings some of these classic stories to a new audience. And by the way, again, the, the studies have proved that when these remakes come out, they get a big bump in popularity of the original mm-hmm. material. So you're going to get more people today are now going to see the original Disney animated Little Mermaid because this new movie's coming out. And I think that works on its benefit. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? I'm actually starting to, I'm not a Little Mermaid guy, to be honest. So like I'm, I'm more of a Aladdin, Lion King, that sort of guy, but I'm starting to get excited to see this movie. What do you guys think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. This video is sponsored by Helix Sleep. Their Memorial Day sale is running now and it's a great time to upgrade your mattress. You can get 25% off your purchase for a limited time. Check out the Helix site for more details. Guys, Helix Sleep offers the best premium mattresses, custom fit to your needs, conveniently shipped right to your door. And in case you're not 100% sure which mattress is best for you, Helix Sleep's quiz matches you to the perfect mattress based on your body type and sleep preferences. Guys, you know, Ann and I have had our Helix Mattress for almost a year, and even when we go to Las Vegas and stay in these beautiful hotel rooms, we can't wait to get home to get a great night's sleep in our Helix mattress. The mattress comes rolled up in a box and is easy to set up. And there's even a hundred night sleep trial to test the mattress out to ensure that you love it. And good news, Helix is having a great Memorial Day sale that goes from May fifteenth to June fourth. Visit HelixSleep.com/Campia to get twenty five percent off your Helix mattress plus two free pillows during their Memorial. Memorial Day Sale, running now for a limited time. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills, and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much-needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people Looking for extra savings this year mint mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 dollars a month by going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail mint mobile passes the significant savings on to you all of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5g network use your own phone with any mint mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/campia. That's mintmobile.com/campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/campia. All right. Let's talk about this for a minute. We did a video on this on the John Campy YouTube channel earlier today, but, you know, Chris wasn't here when we did that. And, and I, I'd like to have a bit of a discussion. So the Jonathan Majors situation continues to evolve, right? It went from he got arrested to his lawyer saying, we have absolute definitive proof showing he was completely innocent. The charges are going to be dropped to the charges did not get dropped. And uh, Jonathan Majors made uh, his first appearance in court. The other day, the charges are proceeding, all that kind of stuff. So now it's left Disney, and we know this. It left, it leaves Disney in a very precarious position. What do you do? Um, what even can you do? You have based, and we talked a little bit earlier about this, about uh, Variety, or Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson has a book coming out called MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios. And, and she was recently interviewed and talked about how they Marvel has never leverage as much of their future on one person as much as they have with Jonathan Majors going into phases 5 and 6. She said she said they are hanging more weight on Jonathan Majors Kang than they did on Robert Downey Jr or Josh Brolin's uh Thanos. So here you are, you've got all these legal problems going on, but it hasn't really proceeded much. He might be exonerated, he might be found guilty. What do you do? Well, You try to play it low-key, and we just saw recently, according to some reports, coming out of a big industry event where Kevin Feige was showing off a bunch of the upcoming MCU Disney Plus shows, shows like Echo, Secret Invasion, and they showed off a new trailer for Loki Season 2. And despite everything prior to his arrest, all the marketing for Loki 2, including the post credit scene in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania— featured Jonathan Majors as Kang very prominently. Apparently the new trailer that's going to be coming out here soon. Absolutely no mention of Kang, no sign of Kang, no anything like that. Now there have also been some very unconfirmed, very questionable reports that they've done reshoots to take Kang out of a bunch of the show. I don't believe those reports personally. It could be true. I have no proof that they're not, but I don't personally believe them right now. I I might change my mind if I see more evidence, but it, it is interesting right now that it looks like Marvel is trying to hedge their bet a little bit. Like why put Kang and Jonathan majors in the trailer and have the conversation be about anything other than Loki season two. Cause you know, what's going to happen if they put Kang and Jonathan majors in the trailers, that's what people are going to be talking about. They're going to be talking about Jonathan majors. They're going to be talking about the controversy going on. If they leave him out of the trailers, then maybe hopefully people will focus more on Loki. So I don't know, Chris, you weren't here earlier today when we were kind of talking about this a bit. Is this a, is this a good move by Disney? Should they be going the opposite? Like I've, I've seen some arguments made that, you know what, they should just completely lean into it. Feature him in the trailer. Feature him in that. Roll the dice a little bit. Big risk, big reward. Or... There's the opposite point of view. They shouldn't just be cutting him out of the trailers. They should be cutting him out of the show. They should be doing this. I, Disney right now seems to be taking a middle ground where they can pivot one way or the other if they want. I don't know. Are they doing the right thing? Should they be going about it differently? What do you think?
1: It's hard to say if they're doing the right thing, but they're definitely doing the thing of playing it safe. Right. By just kind of doing that middle ground and seeing where they can pivot to. The stuff that Robinson was writing about is really, really fascinating to me too about this supposed hey, we're pinning it all on this guy. We're putting everything on Kang, right? And a lot of that was because the mindset, supposedly, according to her, was that, hey, we're losing our varsity players. We're losing these really, really great iconic people. And more than Downey, more than Brolin as Thanos, we are going to now have this iconic Kang because of this incredible performance we were getting out of this guy. And so it was to really, really just put everything on him, which wasn't the plan, But because it's such a strong performance, hey, this is going to keep people coming back to Marvel the same way they did for an Iron Man, for a Thanos, that kind of situation. And she went on to say uh, they usually don't hang this much on one person in the way they did here. And that has put them in a bind. We do not know what they're going to do. I've heard conflicting stories that they're going to replace him. They're not even considering replacing him, et cetera. But it's all just one more thing. So no one seems to know exactly what's going on here. And it does seem to be this kind of wishy-washy, will they, won't they situation that I do understand purely from a court of public opinion and as well as a legal court perspective here. Right. One, you don't want to feature an actor as we've seen from other things, as we've seen with the Anna de Arma situation of feature them in a trailer and then we ditch them or we replace them or something like that, right? Because then people have an expectation of who's in the movie. If they're not in there, then we're upset. Do you feature them heavily? Well, okay, if people are really, really against this person and against what they've done or against the alleged uh, allegations against them, is that going to sour your audiences? Worse, if these allegations become true, if the court does say, yes, this all happened, then you're in a bind there of, okay, well, we've centered something around somebody who now has legal accusations confirmed against them. So I think what Disney's doing is this very, very middle of the road, let's see where the chips fall kind of thing. If that's the right thing to do, I'm not sure. As we've seen with a lot of these situations, and as I've said in the past, I like transparency from studios. I like them to, you know, really, really state how they feel. (laughs) And I understand from a business model, that's not always the best thing. I am hoping as more things come to light with the Jonathan Major situation, that Disney as a whole, that Marvel as a whole does actually release statements regarding this, as opposed to just having a few whispers in the wind about what's going to happen. And I hope regardless of the outcome of the Jonathan Major situation, they're firm on their stance. You know, uh, I haven't particularly enjoyed Warner Brothers, how they've dealt with things like this in the past. Right. And it would be really, really hypocritical of me to change my tune here now of, well, you know, as long as Disney's still giving me a great Marvel movie, I don't really care. No, 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 no. If if things come to light that are very, very serious and legally proven, I really want Disney to have a firm hand on this.
0: I agree. I just don't know what they can say right now. Exactly. Yeah. That's,
1: that's the thing is, I, I don't know what I would do in this situation of, well, uh, we're literally in court right now. We're literally having this thing all proven. I don't know what I would do here as opposed to some, you really can only do a statement of once we have all the information, we have we'll the statement to move is forward. We
0: at Disney are obviously very concerned about the allegations. Yes. We look forward to letting the court process play out and, and see where things are. But exactly. here's the problem they're going to face though. Like, I believe they are taking the right approach right now. You don't remove them. Take them out of the marketing though. Like I agree with the move to take them out of the marketing. Yeah, that makes sense. Just from a marketing point of view, why have the distraction, right? But Marvel is facing a ticking clock. Let me use this analogy. Let's say you've got two girls you really like and you want to You'd love to take both of them. Each of them you'd love to take to prom.
1: What an Archie situation. What an
0: Archie situation. Yeah, Betty Uh and Veronica. You want to take them both, but you don't want to, like as you're working through your feelings, you don't want to commit one way or the other just yet. Okay, that's probably pretty smart. Don't jump the gun. But prom is coming. Mm -hmm. It's coming next week. And you're going to have to make a decision. And that's what I think Marvel is facing. I think they're doing the right thing, trying to stay right down the middle right now. We're going to keep our options open. But at some point, the release date for Loki is going to come. At some point, production start time on the next project that Kang is supposed to be in is going to come. And they might be faced with a situation where they're going to have to pull the trigger on a decision when they still don't know what the courts are going to do yet. Yeah, And I do not envy them once that point hits. Not at
1: all. Do you think right now with the writer strike, that is helping or hurting? Do you think that is adding time to the clock or that is making it speed
0: up? It's It's helping Marvel because it's delaying things. It means it gives the court a chance to get their process going and where they have, I mean, they would like to be in production on everything, obviously, but hey, the silver lining of us not being able to produce anything right now is that it gives us more time to figure out the Jonathan Major situation. So... Oh, what a mess. It really is. What a mess for everybody. I hope just one way or the other, whether he's found completely innocent, not, whatever. I really hope this gets resolved quickly and Absolutely. so they can get things moving.
2: I, I just wanted to ask, like this these types of things of situations occur unfortunately every now and then. Is there anything studios can do to actually maybe prepare or maybe prevent? Like, do they actually really look at everybody's background. And so, things.
0: yeah, look, it's, so it became, it's become a bigger and bigger problem in recent years, right? Especially with the advent of the internet where, you know what? An actor's, a star's, a director's misdeeds you just forever live in the background and the shadows. The mm-hmm. advent of the internet and social media and all that kind of stuff is out there. Most of these studios now will put clauses in their contracts. Uh, they're, they're archaically referred to as morality clauses. Oh, yes. right, okay. Right? That basically, the, the gist of it is this, and I'm oversimplifying it, but the basic gist is this. If you're a bad boy, we can drop you. That, that, that's, that's basically it, right? And that, I'm sh- that has come into and helped them in certain circumstances where they've had to drop <clears throat> actors from things like that before. Of course, the trick here with this particular situation is that they don't have a basis right now to pull the trigger on a, a trigger on a morality classic. We don't know that Jonathan Majors did yeah. what he's accused mm-hmm. of doing. We don't know they haven't, but we've already started our MCU with him as Kang. So they're like, here's, you know what I bet? And I, this is pure speculation. I bet that if these charges came prior to Jonathan Majors appearing in Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania as Kang, I bet Disney would have just made the pure business decision of saying, you are Jonathan, we love you, but you're embroiled in some personal drama and we can't let your personal drama become our drama and we need to swap out actors. I bet you anything, if if all these charges happened before AMA and the Wasp Quantumania got made, they would have changed actors after Loki season one, but yeah. they didn't. Mania is out there and now they've got to, they're in this limbo where they just got to figure this out. Exactly. And
1: uh, further with your point here, Ray, a
0: lot of times too, actors managers social media
1: consultants publicists they'll just tell you something like hey clean up your socials right mm. i don't need pictures of you on instagram doing shots or doing this or doing that and so a lot of it is just kind of your public persona and your outward appearance on socials that a lot of folks are looking at when you are first looking at these jobs a lot of times they're not doing these deep dives on right. hey Do you have a a dark and mysterious past? Are you some troubled person? A lot of times it is this kind of just blanket how you perceive this person, how they're putting themselves out there. And so it can be very, very challenging until you're actually working with someone to start getting these stories. And then also, as we've seen with Twitter in particular, when it comes to this, we've had certain people who have allegedly worked with majors in the past or things like that say, Well, I've always told people. That they were like this or this happened. And a lot of times in Hollywood, right, it's word of mouth where we have yeah. people who, hey, we know that we shouldn't work with this person. Hey, this person can be problematic. But then they still get work. You know, we, we were talking off camera one day about Louis C.K. About how, yeah, that when that whole thing blew up, I had been going to the comedy store for years and people would just tell you, oh, don't go in a room with Louis OK, well, then why are we all just letting Louis be here? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's this really large, nebulous thing about, OK, what do we decide makes a person who someone we don't want to have on set, someone who we don't want to work with, because it seems like a lot of times bad behavior just gets swept under the rug until something really, really blows up. And that's not to say that Jonathan Majors is guilty. I want to be very, very clear about that. I don't know the facts of this case. I was not there on the day. But until we have something that does go to this level we usually don't know about a person
0: yeah all right guys uh question is for you what do you feel about this apparently they have removed jonathan majors from any uh part of the trailers for loki season two good move bad move what do you guys think jump down into wherever your comment sections are and let Mm -hmm. us know your thoughts all right let's let's just briefly touch we're running out of time but let's briefly touch on this last thing here so we we did a video about this as well on the YouTube channel earlier. Fast and the Furious Fast X opened this weekend, and it's two completely different stories. On the one hand, domestically it had its lowest opening weekend of any Fast and the Furious film since 2006, when Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift opened to just like twenty something million dollars. Dang. Fast X opened to $67 million, which is, again is the lowest opening for any Fast film since 2006. So that's not good. On the other hand, the movie made $257 million internationally, which was very good. I mean, that's quite a good result. Ultimately ending in like, I can't remember the exact number, like the $315, $318 million for worldwide, right? And that in and of itself is not a bad number. So what is the story of Fast X? Is it, uh-oh, lowest? I mean, look, once something starts to lose its popularity in the North American markets, eventually it starts to lose its popularity in the international markets as well. The Fast and Furious franchise is obviously in its decline, right? I mean, I think every, yeah, I think even the biggest Fast and the Furious fans <laughs> would, would acknowledge that, that mm-hmm. the Fast and Furious is now on the back half of its life cycle. Right, We saw the declines starting with Fast 9. Now we saw Fast 10. The interest has declined, all that kind of stuff. Still holding solid numbers internationally. So is the narrative uh, Fast X ain't going to do so great at the end of the day because it's declining popularity, or Fast X is still going to be one of the biggest films of the year because it's holding so well on the international market? Uh, and I honestly don't know. Like just a couple of weeks ago, I was I was guessing that not Mario Brothers, which I had predicted for months that Mario Brothers would be the biggest film of the year, I switched that over to Fast X. And now I don't know that I should have made that uh, jump over from Mario to Fast X. But here we are. I don't think this movie's going to have good legs, either internationally or domestically. I think we're going to see a greater than 65% drop in the domestic market here on weekend two. Not just because... As a whole, people aren't loving Fast X, but also you got the Little Mermaid opening, so there goes anybody that's a parent. So that's that's gone. I also don't think it's going to have great legs internationally, either. So I think this movie still beats when it's all said and done. I think it'll beat out Fast Nine's box office, which Ray, if you can get up the final, I think it's seven hundred and something million. Uh, That fast nine made. I still think it probably beats that. I don't know that it gets to a billion. Maybe it does, depending on the international market hole. Anyway, Chris, you're seeing those numbers again. It's two completely different stories. Yeah. Total decline domestically still holding really quite strong internationally. What do you think the predominant story here is and how do you think this movie will ultimately do by the end of the day? Uh, uh, before you go, it's 726 million. So Ooh, 726, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it can beat that. I think Fast X probably, can beat that. Probably,
1: probably. I do think the story here is just that, that difference between the two. I think it's interesting that the US box office went, okay, well, no, thank you. <laughs> and then <that> the <laughs> international box office went, hell yeah, let's see some guy drive down some dams. Let's go. Mm. I think this is going to probably slow down pretty quickly, though. They, they're not going to be able to hit the Nas. They're going to just really, really come to a screeching halt on this. I don't see it having great legs. I say this again as somebody who is not particularly familiar with the franchise. I told all of you I was going to watch these films this weekend. And after the abysmal box office and your lovely reviews... <laughs> I went, Logan. Do you want to watch these movies? And he went, Absolutely not. I don't. I want to watch Sweet Tooth, and that's what we did instead. Great series. I don't. I don't know why I was sleeping I didn't on that. Like it? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I am, wasn't big on it. I am way too emotionally invested, <laughs> and I know everything's going to be bad. I'm going to burn my apartment to the ground. I know it after I finish oh. watching season one. Everyone's evil, but I just. I think I stand by what I said last week. I feel like this franchise has really jumped the shark and that even though this one didn't have space and duct tape, I think people are a little over the series as a whole, especially just because it's gotten so ridiculous. The, every time you guys describe it, I know we always make jokes about how ridiculous Riverdale is, but this feels like the Riverdale of movies. Mm. Of It started out as one story about people who raced cars and worked on cars, and now they're an elite task force with superpowers where they can stomp on the ground. I did watch a compilation of videos of Vin Diesel <laughs> breaking the laws of physics, where he can stomp on the ground and move asphalt or he can pull buildings down with his bare hands or he can catch a car like what is this what are these movies all what wrapped up they? in
3: terrible dialogue yeah <laughs> just oh it is on track though i'm looking at uh, on box office mojo so fate of the furious was like 18% domestic 81% international wow, wow. um fast 9 23% domestic domestic 76% international and now fast x 25% domestic 74% so far international but it's still a sliding scale even when even if your domestic is growing the domestic is also dropping compared to international as well so i don't think i honestly don't know if it'll do worldwide better beating 726 worldwide than Fast Nine because it's a. Well, slide- it's already halfway there almost. It's a sliding scale though.
0: Yeah. I mean, right now worldwide it's at 267. Well, the actual worldwide numbers right now It's like it's like 319 okay. million okay. as of right now. So the international the international box office has got again. This is according to the Hollywood Reporter report. Hollywood Reporter is saying that the opening of uh, the first week internationally, not global. Because global includes international and domestic, the international number was two fifty one point four, whereas the domestic number was sixty seven point five, which ultimately made it a three hundred and what was it a three hundred and eighteen million dollar mm-hmm. uh, worldwide already. So it's 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 not quite halfway there, but it's getting close to halfway. There. The question will be how big is the drop off going to be in the second week? Right. Yeah. I but mean, that- I think it's going to be big, but you're still getting seventy
3: five percent of your your income from international box office. So, I mean, I think that's where it's going to have its strong suit. I just, I think, I still think it's a sliding scale. I don't think it's either going to plateau with fast nine and then make huge, you know, or it's going to be below.
0: All right, guys, question is for you. We got a fast and furious opening weekend. That is really two different stories. Mm. Uh, quite poor for the franchise domestically here in the U S and Canada being the lowest opening weekends that they've had in the franchise since 2006. But at the same time, you can't ignore the fact that it had a fairly strong international uh, debut. How will it hold up? Whatever you guys think, let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move in and start taking your questions. We jumped on the community tab in our YouTube channel and asked our YouTube channel members to send us your questions that you guys may have. So let's go over there right now and start taking those questions. So what do we have lined up in the questions here?
1: First up for Francisco Gomez Vega, in the immortal words of the Gilmore Girls theme, <laughs> where you lead, I will follow anywhere that you tell me to. If you need, you need me to be with you. Following you now to Spotify, dude. Great work! <laughs> Thank you so much. Of course, <laughs> our... I couldn't sing
0: the song; we'd get demonetized. <laughs> um, I uh, we of course moved the main the John Campia show used to be a a a video a live video show that we do. We've now, you know, we've uh, what's the word I'm looking for when people migrate? We've migrated yeah. over to the podcast format, and one of the biggest spots is Spotify again. Today, I don't expect us to stay up there because Spotify charts, Apple podcast charts, they're based a lot on new activity. But the amount of you guys, we didn't know that how many of you guys would actually follow us over to the podcast feeds. But by cracking the top 10 on both Spotify and Apple podcasts, again, we don't expect to stay there at all because it's all based on new activity. But that shows us that you guys did migrate over. So thank you so much for that, man. We really appreciate that. All right, what's next?
1: From Greg Scott Bailey. Had a great time with Fast X. Saw Guardians 3 for the fourth time. Wow. I'm ready for The Little Mermaid this Thursday. I know Fast X didn't totally work for you, John, but it still looks like a pretty good four to five week lineup of films. Also, RIP Ray Stevenson.
0: Um, yeah, listen, with all the complaints, and I have many, about Fast X, horrible, terrible fourth grade dialogue. No humor whatsoever outside of Jason Momoa. Um, just garbage, garbage story with massive truck size uh, plot holes that made absolutely no sense. With all the complaining I do, I don't regret that I watched it. Jason Momoa was fantastic in it. The fights, hand-to-hand fights, are wonderfully done. And the car action, I mentioned in my review, they dialed back the ridiculousness level from Fast 9 to Fast 7, which is still ridiculous. Just not... Duct tape in outer space ridiculous. And it was really quite engaging. And there was a lot of that stuff. So even though it is a terrible movie by many, many, many metrics, <laughs> there's a lot in there to enjoy. And I totally get why someone would come out having haven't had a good time.
1: All right, what's next? From Calvin Severo Pano. Hey, John, about Andor. On season one, Tony Gilroy was supposed to direct the first block, but with COVID, he couldn't go to England and local boy Toby Haynes directed the episodes and even got a second three episode block. And it was great. Why are people worried about Gilroy's absence because of the strike now?
0: Well, because Tony Gilroy is the creative force behind it. Remember, movies and TV shows are completely different. In movies, the director is the main creative force. Yeah, we have your screenwriters, you have your producers, you have your actors, but it all funnels through the director. In shows, that is not the case. In shows, the showrunner is the person that uh, coordinates and orchestrates everything, Tony Gilroy is the creative force of Andor. They're actually, in most TV shows, and Chris, you can attest to this, most TV shows has a different director every single episode. Yes. Like that's the vast, 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 vast majority of TV shows. Every director has, every episode I should say has a different director. It's the showrunner who is the key creative central point. And that's why people are a little bit nervous with Tony Gilroy not being able to do anything. But guess what? They're not going to move forward with anything on Andor until Tony Gilroy is able to come back. Yeah. So I, I think they're going to be totally fine. And
1: Andor is pretty well mapped out too. Yes. So, but I don't, again, I wouldn't be too until
0: nervous. Tony Gilroy comes back, but yeah. that's why people freaking out because the directors, listen, the directors still have a very important role to play in a television show. Absolutely. But the directors are not the key person in television. It's the showrunners. And that's why people are a little bit nervous about Tony Gilroy. All right. What's next
1: from Rafael Castillo. You did a wonderful job with trailers, a love story. Have you considered doing another documentary? How about one on movie theaters?
0: Uh, Thank you, Raphael. Yeah. So for those of you don't know, I do have a a documentary that Jonathan is actually Mm -hmm. the editor on called movie trailers, a love story. It's available now on uh, Amazon. If you go and search for movie trailers, love story, it's available there. It's also available worldwide on Vimeo uh, that you can purchase it there. And um yeah, very, very proud of it actually. I'm super proud. We made it during COVID. And we made it on a less than shoestring budget <laughs> budget. Um, but I'm very proud of it. Yeah, I, I thought about what to do next. Now I've actually lined up two documentaries that I'm going to get involved with as a producer. I'm not going to direct them. I'm, I'm going to produce these two other do- documentaries. At least it looks like I'm going to produce these two. Both of them got kind of hiccuped by the pandemic, but we're in the process of getting things back on track for those. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to direct another one anytime soon, but I'm probably going to be producing a couple in the near future. All right. Thanks for asking, man. All right. What's next
1: from Cody hunt on Miami beach, listening to the John Campion show podcast. Life is good. <laughs> Enjoy Miami
0: and man, your heat. How about them, Miami Heat? (laughs) Just kicking the living crap out of the Boston Celtics. They knocked out the number one seed in the Milwaukee Bucks. They then kicked out the upstart New York Knicks. Now they're in against Boston, which a lot of people picked were going to win the NBA title this year. And they are beating the ever-loving snot out of them. Good on you. yeah. Good folks over there. uh, Man, there were some whispers at the beginning of the season. They may be looking to try to get rid of Spolstra as the coach. Yeah, good luck. You ain't ever getting rid of him as the coach now. No way. No way. I, All I, right, I concur. What's next? <laughs> Chris, knows. Chris knows sports. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know things about sports. From Cyan 10101 Hey, John, a few months ago, I saw Netflix wanted to make a lot of games in 2023. Do you think this is a smart move for Netflix to dip their toe into making games instead of licensing out their own properties?
0: I'm still very unclear about what their plan was in general, where they're at right now. I remember a lot of stories that Netflix... Look, Netflix saw the tide right gaming makes a lot of money and they wanted to get into the gaming thing and and there was a bunch of stories came out it was a real big deal for a short while I haven't seen anything granted I haven't been paying a lot of attention but I haven't seen anything come to fruition over that so I honestly don't know where they're at with their whole gaming gambit that they were going to get into that Netflix you subscribe and you also get games it was going to be like Google Stadia before it died that you just play it online or something
2: I'm, I'm looking at the available games right now.
0: They on Netflix? Have that,
2: yeah, they actually have that. So they have games available. Yeah. The, how do you play them? Um, it's uh, how to install. I'll read through it and then maybe I'll have an answer for so you. So these are
1: actual downloadable games, not just like the trivia games they have on the app? Because I freaking love those. There's a
0: lot of games, like there's streaming game services now where you can actually play AAA games But you don't have to download anything. Like, NVIDIA has a gaming service. Microsoft has that gaming service. PlayStation has a number of games you can play that way. Like, just you don't have to have it on your hard drive at all. You play it via the cloud. So I don't know if that's what Netflix is doing. I have no idea. It's weird because
2: I'm looking at uh, TMT Shredder's Revenge under the Netflix uh, help thing. It has links to download it from the Android store and the iPhone or Apple store. So is so that I have just no, them developing, so but it's like it's developing. developing it? Says it requires it says it requires an active Netflix like an subscription. Account.
3: Yeah, you have to have huh. their account, but it, is it a special
2: Netflix
0: game? I, you know a, what? We probably shouldn't no even bother talking about yeah. it much anymore. Because we really the honest answer is I have no idea what they're yeah. doing there. All right, what's next?
1: From Joe Hawkins, this is two questions. I'll answer this first part and then we'll jump into the other one. If SAG goes on strike, will that affect Chris appearing on the show? Yes. It'll affect me going on here? Yeah. We don't write things.
0: You'll have more time to appear I, I, I on It doesn't matter. I support, I support the unions. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. We are not so, a union show, yeah, just we're, so you know. We're
1: what's called no uh, no union affiliation either way, right? So one, I come on here and we're, this is all unscripted, so we just say stuff, except for when there's an editorial. Um, what it'll affect is I won't have as many neat things to say about booking stuff in the booth or in the, <laughs> in the real world. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then second part, John, Andrew, Chris, have either of you read the Star Wars Legends series Legacy of the Force and Fate of the Jedi? They're yes. set during what would be the sequel's timeline, only non-canon now. Much better sequel trilogy, in my opinion. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that's pure you.
0: I I I don't know that I would concur. Uh, I don't know that I agree with that. There There is some good stuff in there, um, but, and and as bad as The Rise of Skywalker was, I still think The Force Awakens was... Awesome. I, th- I think the force awaken was awesome. Um, and and I liked the last Jedi, although, you know, you could start to see the fact that they had no plan. It was starting to fall apart and I hated the, the rise of Skywalker, but um, they were, they were good to read at the time. Look, my relationship actually with the expanded universe stuff prior to when Disney took over and, and reestablished what real Canon was, was very, very mixed because yeah, you had the air to the empire trilogy with Thrawn and you had a couple of the X-wing stories and you had some of the stuff about Jason and you know the the solo kids, um, all that kind of that that were already right. the Yu Vong was actually an interesting storyline. But but honestly, eighty five percent of the expanded universe stuff was total shit oh. that we just loved because it was the only thing of Star Wars we were getting for so long. But uh, so yeah, I don't know if I concur with your uh, uh, your evaluation of that. Real quick, I want to go back to this Netflix
2: thing. This thing sounds really good. They have exclusive games, and if you're, you have a membership, there's no purchases in the games. You could play them unlimited. But play them there's where? No, um, just uh, you just have to prove that you have the Netflix. They're exclusive games tied in with your Netflix membership. You sign in with your Netflix account. And they have fifty exclusive games, including Stranger Things titles. And you know how all the games on your phone, you have to pay for everything. Yeah, these yeah. games are just run through.
0: Okay, but no where cool. do you play? Because like I don't like I don't so play it, it on, on my download my TV. on your
2: Android or iPhones. Like, okay, like so you so on your yeah. so it's for your so mobile. It's a separate app. It's okay. not within the Netflix thing. It's interesting. interesting. So, yeah, That's interesting.
0: Yeah. All right, what's
1: next? From Jesse Has a Turtle. I saw someone ask last time when Chris wasn't on the show, but is there any streaming service or somewhere else where we can see some of your voice work? Oh, um, sometimes my stuff is on Crunchyroll. I did a lot of stuff for Sentai Filmworks back in the day when I was a non-union actor, um, because most anime is non-union. A lot of what I do, I do video games, Blade and Soul, Maple Story, um, Red Red Knight Lineage, and stuff like that. Um, But a lot of what I do is commercials or... Industrials. And this is a lot of stuff that people don't find to be particularly glamorous acting work. It's things that are going to be played in corporate. So, like, I've done stuff for MasterCard or for Scripps or things like that that play in-house. Um, there was a really cool time. My mom was so proud. I was the voice of LeapFrog for, for a little bit. Oh. And you could hear my voice uh, when there were Target or Walmart displays for the LeapFrog setups. And every time my mom was in a Target, she'd, like, nudge people next to her. And she'd be like, that's my my daughter talking right now. That's her <laughs> talking about how your kid can learn how to read. It was real cute. <laughs> But sadly, I'm no longer the voice of them. But most of what I do is commercials or inside stuff.
2: It's their loss, Chris.
0: All right. Thanks. What's next?
1: From AK, with the way things are with the writer's strike, how high of a chance will directors and actors follow suit? Will this be like a year-long slog of pay issues between studios and creatives?
0: The the chances that SAG and the director's guild going on strike also are very high right now. A year-long thing? No, because writers and actors and directors can't live that long without getting paid. And, and st- while studios, there are reports going around that studios want the strike and they want to do this. Yeah, that's great for a while because they can't afford this thing going a year either. So it's going to be a while, but it's, this isn't something that nobody involved, not the studios, not the actors, not the writers, not nobody can survive this thing lasting a year. So it won't be that long. All right. What's next
1: from Spencer with succession ending in just one week with the penultimate episode last night. What are your thoughts about the season and last night's episode? I haven't watched it personally. I think with uh, the episode next week, this could be my favorite TV show of all time.
0: It's not on my top five, like, or I don't even know that it's in my top 10 favorite TV shows of all time, but it's magnificent. Yes. I am like five episodes behind. So I, I I can't, I simply can't
1: comment on last night. I'm very far behind on this one.
0: Yeah. All right, what's next?
1: From Kendall Barker. Did you like the post-credit scene with Dwayne Johnson? I don't think I remember you or the audience even mentioning it at all on your spoilers review, so I got to thinking it might have been on that Morbius level, lol.
0: No, if it was awful, I would have said something. It was <laughs> it 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 like was it good or was it bad? No, it it just it was. It's a post-credit scene. Yeah. He pops up. I mean, we all knew it. They they reported it officially, the studio put it out, but it it's fine. It's fine. But it's nothing earth shattering at all. <laughs> so all it's right, so like Nile right now. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> From CJ Rebirth, what are your guys' thoughts on the 101 Dalmatians movie with Glenn Close as Cruella? I know it's not on Cinderella, a Lily James level, but I loved watching mm-hmm. it on VHS growing up.
0: Not a fan. Really? Yeah. Not a fan, actually. Oh, I don't I hate it. Don't get me wrong. It. I don't hate it. It's not like, I go, oh, that movie sucked. No, no, no. But yeah, no, mm. I, just, I, I watched it, I think, twice in my life. And I was like, eh. For me, oh. But you
1: loved it? Yeah, as a kid, I thought that movie was great. I was like, this woman's a genius. And I was correct.
0: <laughs> All right, what's next?
1: From Dat Boy 22. Hey, John, what are your thoughts on Arnold Schwarzenegger becoming chief action officer over at Netflix?
0: Haven't heard of that news. Yeah, if, if, if he did, it's interesting, I suppose. But it, listen, if, if if that is true, it's, it's probably an honorary title. I don't think he has actual... I don't think he's an actual creative executive at the company, but hey, I, again, I have not read anything, so I, I'm kind of in the dark on that. All right, we got time for one more. What's next?
1: From Chris, oh, from Christian Rodriguez. Nah, let's go to, to one of that- <laughs> <laughs> He loves you. Um, from Jamie Rell with Toy Story 5, Kung Fu Panda 4, and Trek 5 all being announced this year, and assuming that they all could potentially come out the same year, theoretically 2025, which movie do you think will be better, make more money, and be more hyped? Personally, I think better will be Kung Fu Panda, Hyped will be Shrek 5 and Make More Money will be Toy Story 5.
0: I, I don't agree. Um, I think most hyped is Toy Story. I mean, that that's that's the most celebrated animated mm-hmm. franchise ever. I, I mean it's it, I mean, and it's Toy Story is one of only three animated films in history to actually be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. And they all make money. Even the last one, yeah. even four, made over a billion dollars at the box office. Um, so the most hyped will be that Kung Fu Panda will probably make the least amount of money, but it's one of the ones I'll look forward to a lot. Cause I, I think the Kung Fu Panda movies are kind of underrated and Shrek five will get a lot of hype. Yes. The return of Shrek, Eddie Murphy coming back. I was at the Laker game the other day and they put Eddie Murphy was there in the crowd and they popped him up on screen and the audience lost their minds oh, hell yeah. when they put him up on screen. Uh, but I think the one that will be best will be Toy Story five. Because they just make these excellent, excellent, excellent films. They they, they make Oscar caliber films. Mm. So that will be the best. Toy Story 5 will also be the one that makes the most money. It'll also be the one that's most hyped. Yeah. So I think right across the board, it'll be Toy Story 5. But I'm very interested in both Kung Fu Panda 4, which Jack Black came out on stage and enacted for us at CinemaCon, which was amazing and the return of shrek especially after watching puss in boots mm-hmm. i'm ready for shrek to come back
1: i just uh, dreamworks put me in your movies as an additional voice you cowards 44 <laughs> auditions this year 44. 44 i know you i know you guys like me they keep let's, bringing you back. Bring, bring me home. Just right? break the we seal. We keep going out for coffee. Take me home. <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> oh, all
2: right. Dream. That's how I feel Right now.
0: <laughs> Gee, all right, guys. Uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. That's all the questions we have time to get through. Thank you to everybody sending those questions, and that'll do it. For today's episode of the John Campion Show podcast, thank you guys so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all of our YouTube channel members. Number one, for being YouTube channel members. And number two, for sending in these questions that gave us great fun things to talk about. We appreciate you all very much. Guys, again, just in case you don't know, we have a newsletter, a John Campion Show newsletter. If you look in the description of this podcast or if you're watching and listening to this on the YouTube channel in the description of this You'll find a link to our daily newsletter. We send it out every day, giving you rundowns, the topics we're going to be discussing that day. I put in a little blog post. We talk about any announcements that are coming up, all in those newsletter that's delivered to your inbox every day. Make sure you go and subscribe to that newsletter and uh, make sure you join us again on this podcast, on your favorite podcasting app of choice and on our YouTube channel where we put up videos every single day. We look forward to seeing you. So for myself, Ray Ora, Jonathan Voico, Chris Carr, who don't just take her to coffee, ladies and gentlemen. Take her home, DreamWorks. No, don't let that be the takeaway. (laughs) Take it home, DreamWorks. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends. Take it home, baby. (laughs) Bye-bye.